All right, let's take out our Bibles, please. We're gonna go to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter one. It's Advent season, the season of the coming of Christ. And in Advent season, we prepare and, and we deepen our longing for the birth of Jesus. Now we're doing that by looking at Matthew's genealogy and in examining the lives of certain individuals in these genealogies, um, we're, we're, we're saying, how is God at work in that person's life and circumstance? And how does his work in that person's life show us how he's at work in our own life and in our own circumstances to accomplish his purposes and plans? Last week, we had a very special singing, right, of the text, of the genealogy. Kudos to Carl again. Rob and Sarah Howard for that this morning. Likewise, we have a very special reading of Matthew's genealogy. Hi, I'm Cooper, and today I'm going to read from the book of Matthew. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Pears, and Pears by Tom, and Pears the father of Ham, and Ham by the father of Ram, and Ram by the father of Ambi, and Ambi the father of Nasa, and Nasa the father of Sam. Salmon father Boaz by Rahab, Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Ura's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Also fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. <laughs> Joram fathered Oziah. Oziah fathered Jonathan. John, Jotham, I got that wrong. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manshi. Manshi was the father of Emon. Emon was the father of Joshua. Joshua was the father of Zeke. Aha was his brother. At that time, the Jewish people were um, forced to go away to Babylon. After this, the family line continued. Jacob was the father of Steel. Steel tile. Siltal was the father of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of Abe. Abehood was the father of Echonah. Echonah was the father of Ira. Was the father of Zaptor. Zaptor was the father of Ekim. Ekim was the father of Ekim. Yahud, the father of Ezra. 
Elsura the father of Matthew, Matthew the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The those there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the Exodus to Babylon, and fourteen from the Exodus to Damascus. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Now, you try it, okay? I'm gonna put you up here and let you give it a go. Special thanks to Cooper Shue, Luke Weston, and Miles Hoffman, Molly Paxton, and Drew Pancake. Fantastic job. I can tell you this, they're not only hard to pronounce, um, there are some that it's hard to imagine why they're in there. How, how they end up in this lineage of Christ. Last week in that first section of 14, uh, Rob took us to Obed. Now, Obed took us to the story of Ruth and Naomi. You remember this? And it was a story of emptiness to fullness, to a hope that they could not imagine as she gave birth to Obed, who is the father or the grandfather of David. Today, we're gonna look at a second individual. Um, this one is from the second set of 14 um, in, in, the, in the genealogy. Uh, you'll see it there. If you look at your Bibles in Matthew 1, verse 6, we read, And Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Uh, we are going to look this morning at Rehoboam. Now, the only similarity between Rehoboam and Ruth is their, their names begin with R. It ends right there. Whereas Ruth was, was faithful, I, I'll tell you, Rehoboam is, is pretty faithless. Whereas she was marked by, by a, a deep humility, uh, Rehoboam is marked by a strong streak of pride. And whereas Ruth followed God's, her God, God's heart, you find Rehoboam followed hard after his own. Why would I choose Rehoboam, to, 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 to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Because when I look in the mirror, I am way more like Rehoboam than I am Ruth. Rehoboam's story, may I say, is for all who've made mistakes. It's for everyone who at some point in your life has chosen foolishness over wisdom. It's for all of us, honestly, who look back on our life and there are moments I would would love a do-over in that moment where we proved faithless rather than faithful at that moment in time. I say this because buried within this story of Rehoboam, we're, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pull out, there is within that story um, the, the reason why Jesus is not just our only hope, but he's our certain hope. Um, Rehoboam's story is recorded in 1 Kings. 
Um, it's also recorded in Chronicles. Uh, I'm going to camp upon this section in 1 Kings chapter 12. So if in your Bibles, if you'd go ahead and turn there, this will be where we're going to spend our time. It's right after 1 and 2 Samuel. You come to 1 and 2 Kings and then the Chronicles. Let me give you a little context, okay, for the story as, as we walk through it. Um, one of the purposes of the book of, of Kings and Chronicles is to chronicle, so to speak, the, the slide, if I could say it that way, from the pinnacle of the United Kingdom to the obscurity, not just of a divided kingdom, but of no kingdom that's in exile. I mean, it's a 400-year slog to nothingness. And these events are recorded, can we say, as we put ourselves in the, in, in the shoes of the original audience, the original audience is asking the question, you know, after this period, how did we get here? <laughs> and is there any hope for our future? That's why these stories are recorded. Now, um, the, the, the particular part of the story, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna walk us through, it's 24 verses. It's a story, so I'm just gonna read the story. I'm gonna explain a, a bit of it, and then we're gonna land upon this principle that is the ground for all of our hope. Now, I'll give you the outline and I'll walk us through this just so you know as we're moving through this. I tried to get it down as far as I could and I landed on five parts to this story. You'll see it on the screen. There's a reasonable request, verses one to five. There's a foolish choice in verses six through 15. There's a divided nation, 16 to 20, a foolish frenzy, and it ends with a certain hope, verses 22 to 24. So if you're there, 1 Kings chapter 12, I'm gonna pick up verse, verse 43 of chapter 11 as the intro into the story of Rehoboam, okay? Chapter 11, verse 43. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son reigned in his place. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. At this stage in Israel's history, you all, seeds of sedition were already planted within the 12 tribes of the United Kingdom. Solomon had massive building projects, you all, and he taxed the tribes heavily to pay for that, and they were the labor. Uh, Rehoboam goes to, to, to Shechem. If you can think of it, I'm gonna give you some pictures to think of it. It's like he goes there for his inauguration, See, he, he's the king's son. Solomon has anointed him king, but the people inaugurate him into the office. And so he goes to Shechem that this might happen. Jeroboam, I'm gonna come to him at the end. He's the representative, if you will, 
of the tribes of Israel. And so representing the tribes, he says to Rehoboam, who's of the tribe of Judah, he says, look, your, your dad, you know, it was cruel, quite frankly. Uh, and the taxes were way too heavy. Rehoboam, look, we, we, we will serve you, but make the workload reasonable and, and stop deducting so many taxes from that which you pay us. It's a reasonable request. And Rehoboam has his own reasonable request. Come back here in three days and I'll give you an answer. Well, three days of pondering this, as we'll see in a moment, actually leads to a very foolish choice. That's where we go next, verse six. We're gonna go through verse 15. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men, that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Y'all, can I say this? And, and, and no offense to any young man in the room or young woman. You know, let's put it in the woman's context. This would be like, this would be like 16-year-olds coming to older people and going, tell me what I should do in this. And then going, eh. And then going to his group of 16-year-old friends or her group of 16-year-old friends says, you guys tell me what to do. I mean, this is what's happening here. Now, here's the strange, not strange, but sobering thing. He's 41 years old. <laughs> and he rejects the counsel of the elders and goes to his friends, verse nine. And he said to his friends, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? No shocker here. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. I mean, that's a euphemism for them. It's basically saying, you thought my father's, you know, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist is the idea. In other words, you thought my father was a big guy? I'm bigger than him, you know, my word's bigger than his. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, which he did, but I'm gonna discipline you with scorpions, i.e. whips with metal in the, the tips of them. It's gonna be worse. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again, the third day. And the king answered the people harshly and forsaking the counsel the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. It's worth pondering just for a moment, if we may. I mean, I think we understand what just happened, but I wanna ask us to consider what happens in our own life, you all, when we, in, you know, in, in your gut, you, you know the right path. 
you know the right thing to do. You, you, you know wisdom. And yet we shove it aside that we can choose our own way. <laughs> and we, and we, get, we, we wanna hear what we wanna hear so that we can do what we want to do. I just want you to think about this. This is just us pondering what's happening here in our own lives. What's in us that would so motivate us and move us to make choices like that? And, and, and I, you know, I've made choices like that. I wanna ask you, what, what's in us? Why do we do that? Is why I'm asking. I want you to think about it. Those of you online, I want you to think about it where you are. But here in the room, a couple of you shout out a word or a thought. You know, what? just we're, we're thinking together. Why do we do that? Why do we reject the wisdom we know is right in front of us, the wisdom of elders? And we choose the way we want to go. What, what makes us do that? Pride. Say, pride. Selfishness. What? Selfishness, apathy. Greed. Greed. All the above, right, wouldn't we say? I, I, I want to suggest here, and this is where I, I want you to know, I'm, I, I, the text doesn't say it per se, but I'm, as I've spent time in it and other parts of Rehoboam's story, and I've looked at myself in the mirror, and I've walked with many of you. All of those things are reasons why we do that. And I think underneath it, at, at perhaps the deepest level, is fear. You watch Rehoboam, how he behaves, and it's fear. Now, in our fear, we come across arrogant. In our fear, pride leads us to foolishness, right? But I think under that is fear. And I think about Rehoboam, what's, what's he afraid? Well, he's afraid of losing the kingdom. He's afraid the people will reject him. He's afraid at its core, it seems, of losing control. And so we're gonna watch this fear express itself in pride, quite frankly, and then result in some massively foolish choices with horrendous consequences, which is true of ourselves in our own lives. So we go from this uh, foolish choice to a divided nation. Look at verses 16 to 20. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. What, you know, what they said to David was, we're done with you, David, Judah, the line of David as our king. You're on your own. We'll take care of ourselves. But when Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel, that speaking, who lived in the cities of Judah, he reigned over Judah, the tribe of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster, taskmaster over the forced labor. This Adoram was like, he was over all the laborers of all the tribes. He oversaw all the building projects. He was the supervisor. He was the boss. So he sent Adoram and all Israel stoned him. He sends Adoram to make it right. All Israel stones him to death with stones and King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. Apparently he was with him and he got out of there quickly. 
So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam, there's that character again, had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah. We have just witnessed the division of the kingdom. Boom, it's divided. And, and, and as I think you'll know, you know, there's 10 tribes to the north, they're called Israel. There's Judah and Benjamin to the south, that's called uh, Judah. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? But that was the kingdom. That was, the United Kingdom is now the divided kingdom. 12 tribes turned their back on Rehoboam as he turned his back on them. It's fascinating to me how, how true to life this is, okay? Let me explain in this part of the story. He, 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 he thinks he's gonna get what he wants by demand, right? He doesn't. <laughs> they say, we're done. So, so what do you do when you make a foolish choice and you realize, ooh, that didn't go the way I wanted? You know what we do? We double down and we try and get the quick fix. And that's what he does. So they're not gonna follow me, Adoram, go over there and talk to them and you make them come back to me. <laughs> like a quick fix. Well, it cost him his life. When we, don't, when we don't listen, when we choose foolishness over a wise path, may I say for the man or woman in a place of leadership, the costs are horrendous. And they're, quite frankly, more, the costs are greater on those you lead than on you, the leader. Well, this takes us to this little section I call a foolish frenzy. Look at verse, um, where we're at now. We went through 20, so let me pick up in 21. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. He sent one man, okay? You make this right. They killed him. Now he is actually in a foolish frenzy. He, 180,000, the number's disputed because we're not sure what thousand means here per se, but 180,000 warriors, let's go fight them now. Let's go kill him to get what I want. I mean, he, it's like he's out of control in this moment. This story, it's not the whole of Rehoboam's life, you all, but it is indicative of the whole. Rehoboam's a king who, there are moments when he's faithful and then there's the moment he's just absolutely faithless. There are moments where he, he, he chooses wisely and then there are just moments where absolute foolishness. There are moments when he does the right thing and oh my, there are moments when he's making horrible mistakes. It will be the writer of Second Chronicles who will carve the words in his tombstone that describe his life. I'm gonna... Read it, 2 Chronicles 12, 14. This is from uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message, and I chose it because it, 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 it explains it as it says it. Here's, here's what's on Rehoboam's tombstone. But the final verdict on Rehoboam was that he was a bad king. 
God was not important to him. His heart neither cared for nor sought after God. And here he is, a link in the chain that takes us to Jesus. How can that be? Well, the last verse of the story is the answer. We're gonna land here. Verses 22 to 24. Notice how this part of the story ends. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. Like many places in the Bible, the darkest moments turn to light with a giant butt. Not B-U-T-T, you know, but B-U-T, contrast. There's this, but there's this. Paul, when he writes Romans, you know, the first chapters are the darkness, the captivity of our souls to sin, (laughs) the bondage of sin in our hearts. And then he gets to 5.8 and says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice verse 22. I'm telling you, it's a big but, isn't it? But the word of God came to Shemaiah. If you look at verse 24, it says, thus says the Lord. And then two more times in verse 24, please note, the word of the Lord. And they went home again according to the word of the Lord. It's like the word arrives. God intervenes by his word. If you... If you only get this in the message, and, and you know, there's, I've tried to boil this message down to say, okay, look, this is the message, then get this. The only thing that stops a foolish frenzy and gives us certain hope is the word of the Lord. Isn't it amazing how this story's going? Boom, the word of the Lord came. The thread in Rehoboam's story that is the ground of our hope, when we're we're experiencing the pain of life that is just the fact of life, we're fallen bodies in a fallen world and we get treated unjustly and bad things happen, it's life on a fallen planet. Whether we're standing in that place or we're standing in that place because we're in a mess of our own making. Either one. It is, it is that God's word is true and trustworthy that is our ground of hope. That's it. Now, I read this quickly earlier, so I want you to look at it again. Look at verse 15. Here's the thread in the story. I, I read this, but didn't comment on it. It says, so the king did not listen to the people 
for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Now, and then, and then the, the story of course ends with, and the word of the Lord came, and they listened, and they obeyed the word of the Lord. Listen, all biblical hope finds itself, finds its security, its rest, it stands upon God fulfilling his word. That's what this story is about. This story is about God keeping his word. I didn't cover this, but I'm going to very quickly. We were in chapter 12. Well, there's a prequel to that called chapter 11. And that's where we kind of, oh, that's what he means by what he just said. Well, let me tell you very quickly, chapter 11 tells us that Solomon, Rehoboam's dad, forsook God. That his heart followed other gods. And God was angry with Solomon and God said to Solomon, I'm gonna remove the kingdom from your hand. And the way God did that was he called a prophet, Ahijah, and that prophet went to a man, Jeroboam, and said to Jeroboam, who by the way was Solomon's best worker. And Ahijah goes to, uh, 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 to, to Jeroboam and he's dressed in this white tunic. He takes his tunic off, he tears it into 12 pieces. He hands 10 pieces to Jeroboam and says, God is giving you 10 tribes. So y'all, when we read chapter 12, what are we reading? God keeping his promise. That's why we read in verse 15, oh, it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. What I'm wanting us to see, and I, I think the author wants us to see ultimately who is God, is that God uses even Rehoboam's folly to fulfill his word. If I said it another way, God's faithfulness to his word is the most important thing in this story. And may I say it this way, God's faithfulness to his word is the most important thing in the whole story. May I say it a third way, God's faithfulness to keep his word is the most important thing in your story and mine. That's what matters most. God will keep his promise in your story and mine. I wanna be so careful here and um, I might lose a few here and if I do, I'm glad to try and clarify, but follow with me here because this is so important that, I, that I, I get this as close to clear and right as I can. Rehoboam's choices were his own. He chose what he wanted. And Rehoboam is accountable and responsible for this foolishness that he chose. And his foolishness cannot thwart God's faithfulness. And his mistakes are no match for God's mercy. 
what I'm trying to say here, and I think the, the, the lesson is this, God's promise is greater than all of my mistakes and every foolish choice I make. Can I say that again? God's promise is greater than all my mistakes and every foolish choice I make. Now, here's where I wanna be careful because you, you might be tempted to say, oh my gosh, Lord, are you saying, look, it doesn't matter if I obey God or disobey God or if I'm faithful. And faithful. Look, God just gonna do what he wants. No, no, it's not what I'm saying. It's not what this is teaching nor what the Bible teaches. Let me, let, me, let me put it in these categories. If you choose not to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to trust God that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, that Jesus was buried, rose again in three days, and that you're trusting Jesus' person and work for the forgiveness of your sins and, your, and the clothing of his righteousness. If you choose not to trust that, then may I say, you get what you choose. And that is you get an eternity apart from God when you depart this planet and you will. And you get a, you get a life apart from God and his blessing and his, his goodness. You, you, get, you get what you choose. Now, if you, if you choose to trust Christ, to bow the knee to Christ, to, to put your confidence in Jesus, that Jesus, you are the son of God who died on the cross for my sins, you were buried, you rose three days later and you did it for me. When you choose to trust Christ as your savior, then I want you to know you get eternal life immediately. And may I say, God is gonna bring you, okay? He's gonna bring you to the end which will be an eternity with him forever in his kingdom and your mistakes and your faithlessness along the way, listen, it's not gonna thwart God accomplishing what he will accomplish because you've trusted Christ. Does this make sense? Now, now, now you can make mistakes and you will make, you, you'll choose unfaithfulness. It'll cost you even as a Christian, but oh my, your eternity is never ever in, in, in doubt. See, what, what, what you do when you trust Christ, may I say this, is you trust this promise You've joined God's story. You can never fall out of his story. But if you're not in his story, and you'll get all that you choose. I'm saying to the person who's trusting Jesus, listen, because no one's gonna make it from today to the, to the moment you, God takes you off this. You're not gonna make it without sinning without making mistakes, without foolish choices. But I'm saying to you, if your trust is in Jesus, your faithlessness cannot thwart God's faithfulness. Your mistakes are no match for his mercy. And we always end with application, so I'm gonna end here. It's not enough to walk out of here and go, that was good, that, okay, God, God's mercy has me. It's not just knowing, it's the trusting and obeying of these truths. So it's so fascinating to me when I read this story. Verse 24 ends like this. So they listened to the word of the Lord and they went home again. See, they could have, they could have listened and not gone. You see what I'm saying? They heard it. And they went home. They, 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 they obeyed that word. And so I want to invite you as we do every week, to take this word and say, well, 
what, what is God calling me to trust him for? What step of obedience is he inviting me to take? What is he calling me to trust him with? I'm gonna do it this way. I'm gonna put the state, I'm gonna put a statement up on the screen that, that is one, it's one way to look at the, the application of the passage. God, my only hope is that you keep your promises. In giving Jesus, you show that you do. Therefore, I will. Now, wherever you're standing in life today, whatever's coming at you, whatever you're struggling with, here's an application. God, my only hope is that you keep your promises. That, That is the only certainty on the planet, by the way, that God keeps his promises. In giving Jesus, you show that you do keep your promises. We're gonna celebrate his birth in a few days. Therefore, I will. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you to your application and I want you to interact with God in these moments and then I will pray for us with a benediction in just a moment. Would you pause for a moment now? Read that statement and finish that sentence. Let me invite you to stand, please, for a benediction. Would you stand together with me? Bow your head and I will pray this benediction over us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. To us a child of hope is born, To us a son is given. Him shall the tribes of earth obey with all the hosts of heaven. His name shall be the Prince of Peace forevermore adored, the wonderful, the counselor, the great and mighty Lord. Father, our only hope ever is that you keep your promises. You've shown us this morning that it was you keeping your promises through a bad king. He was no threat to your promise. 
You've shown us in Jesus that you keep your promises. Your son, born in time and space of the Virgin Mary, because you keep your promises, Father, we can always have hope. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. You are dismissed.